0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Amen. Cool. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 14 today. As we have the opportunity to see once again how good Jesus is. And I think in studying His life, you know, we admire Him. We're like, wow, He's an amazing God. And then I think we aspire to be like Him. You know, that's kind of the way it works. We want to be like the Lord. uh, But we begin, first of all, by just seeing Him for who He is. I don't know if you guys read this story. I heard this story today, actually. is in Fox News. Um, I guess hundreds of Indian girls, their name was Unwanted. That was their name, Unwanted. Today they uh, chose to get new names. Really cool. It says right here, more than 200 Indian girls whose names mean Unwanted in Hindi have chosen new names for a fresh start in life. I like that. I guess a central Indian district held a renaming ceremony Saturday, that it hopes will give the girls new dignity and help fight widespread gender discrimination, that gives India a skewed gender ratio with far more boys than girls. It says right here that 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes and braids and bows in their hair, lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with flowers from district officials. Pretty interesting thing that's going on in India. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but over in India, you know, a lot of the parents, if not most of the parents, they don't want little girls. And so if they find out that they're going to have a girl, uh, a large percentage of them would then have an abortion. Um, As a matter of fact, in India, it's illegal for the hospitals to reveal the gender of the child in the womb for that very reason, the fear of so many abortions and even when the girls are born, sometimes those girls are left and abandoned to die. Because their parents don't want them. As a matter of fact, they even even name them unwanted. It's a crazy thing. You know, the main reason they don't want these little girls is because they grow up and when they get older they have to pay a hefty dowry when their daughter is married. And so they're trying to avoid that. And they'd rather have boys because when they have boys, they receive a dowry. And so it's just a, a really tragic thing when you consider that to be born and to be named unwanted. I thought about that. I said, Wow, Lord, that is so crazy. You know, and, and then I was just thinking, there's a lot of people, I think, that, that feel that way. You know, they feel unwanted. And who knows, maybe in many respects they are unwanted by other people, that is. But one thing I know for sure is that there's no one unwanted by God. Nobody. You know, and we can go through life and we can maybe look for, you know, people who want us. And sometimes we find people, sometimes we don't. But, you know, regardless of that, my prayer today especially is that we would know that the God that we serve is a God who wants us, a God who, who loves us, a God who died for us, a God who's willing to be there for us no matter what we're going through in life. You know, we see that when we study the life of Christ. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story, even today. But, man, as we're journeying through Luke, we see it over and over again. And my prayer is that if you're here today, especially, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, it doesn't matter. And you know, you feel like you don't belong. Or you just, you've just been distant from God. That, that by the time the study's over today, that you would receive a new name. That you would have a fresh start in life. Because look at how good the Lord is. It says here in verse 1, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that's fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. You know, I I don't know a lot about Gandhi, uh, to be honest with you. I guess he was a a noble man from a worldly perspective. Um, I know he needed Jesus. But one thing that he said that that really resonates within my heart sometimes, he says, you know what the problem with with Christianity is a lot of times? It's Christians. A lot of times we as Christians, we don't represent the Lord well. We as God's people, we don't represent God too well. man. But we got to see how God is. You know, here in this story right here, what we find is that Jesus, It was. A, it's a Sabbath day, and so more than likely they went to the synagogue. And so it's kind of like our equivalent of going to church service. And what do you guys normally do after church service? You go eat, right? Okay, so that's what they're doing, man. They're grubbing. They just go to in and out right? No, they're all, let's go to the, the Pharisee's house. The ruler of the Pharisees invites Jesus over to grub at his place, right? And so as they go... Uh, it's kind of crazy though the the motives weren't really pure. It says that they watched him. Look at there again in verse 1. They watched him closely. Right here we see they were watching him insidiously, undoubtedly hoping for Jesus to do something wrong, to say something wrong so that they can accuse him so they could refuse him, right? I mean their motives weren't pure. And so they're watching him, of course, one of the main issues right here would be this man who walks into the house who just happens to be there with this thing called dropsy. Would Jesus heal the man? You know, the, the, the Pharisees had come to a place in their life where they believed that healing somebody on the Sabbath day was wrong. Okay, and, and what they you know got that from, you guys all know the Ten Commandments, right? By heart, right? You guys remember that 110 commandment, uh, one of the commandments, thou shalt keep, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And what that meant was God was saying, you know, find a day where you can rest. Find a day where you guys fellowship. Find a day where, you know, generally speaking, you give your body rest and you feed your soul, man, you just seek the Lord. Because life can be so busy, right? Beautiful commandment. God is interested in the welfare of man. The Sabbath was made for man. But what had happened was the Pharisees in their fear of violating the Sabbath, they then made up hundreds of little meticulous rules and regulations in order to try to keep it. And it became a burden to them. It became so bad. What they did was they took their truth and they elevated traditions over truth. They took their little laws of legalism And they elevated it over love. They took these petty principles and they made them more important than people. And they were terrible witnesses for God. So much so that it got so bad that if someone was sick with dropsy, and we know the Lord up to this point has already healed seven people on the Sabbath day, but they're watching him again. They said, you know what? We don't pity this man. We don't care that he's got dropsy. That means his legs were swollen, his face was swollen, his joints were filled with water. We don't care. Jesus shouldn't be healing this guy on the Sabbath day, right? And so what ends up happening? The Lord asks them a question. Okay, verse 3. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? What he's doing is he's telling them, show me in the Bible where it's wrong. Give me a passage in the Bible where it's wrong. They're called lawyers. That means they're experts in the law. And they, and they couldn't answer him. Why? Because it wasn't true. The, the things that they were living weren't true. They had elevated traditions over truth to the point where they did no longer care about people. People. And they put those rules and regulations in front of relationships. And, you know, that can happen in the church. And that's why we need to be so careful that we don't do that. And we, I just pray we would be aware that that's not how God is. You know, there was a time in the church, did you guys know this, where the drums were were wrong? Did you guys know that? They believed that if you played drums, that you were in sin, you know, especially in the church, man. You know, and... Um, You know, there was a time where drums were introduced and Christians were upset and they were making these rules and regulations saying you can't have that kind of stuff in church. But that's not what the Bible says. Where does the Bible say thou shalt not have drums? It doesn't say that, huh? But we make our traditions, huh? We make our traditions, we elevate them over truth. I mean, I was talking to my family about this and this can happen so easily. And that's why it's so important to know the Bible. Yesterday we went street witnessing and I was talking to this one guy um, on the street over there uh, by the 99 cent store. And um, it was cool talking to him and uh, just telling him, hey, man, do you know Jesus? Conoces Jesucristo? You know, I trying to talk to him in Spanish, right? You guys know Spanish, right? And so um, he said, no, you know, creo en Jesucristo. Nomás la virgin. I don't want say it in Spanish. La virgen, virgin Mary. Nomás ella. No Jesucristo. No Dios. Nomás más." La Virgin Mary, you know, I don't know how you say it in Spanish, and, and he said, and he basically is saying, for those of you gringos here, what he's basically saying is, listen, I don't believe in Jesus. I only believe in Mary. I don't believe in God. I only believe in Mary. And so I just told him, I said, then you're not going to go to heaven. No vas a ir al cielo porque nunca en la Biblia dice eso. Ninguna vez, I told him, not one time does the Bible say you're supposed to believe in Mary. The Bible never says that. It says, believe in Jesus. But what had happened to this gentleman? Somebody had told him this, you know, lie that, hey, you got to believe in Mary. She's the mother of God. And then you're going to go to heaven. It's a tradition, huh? It's a tradition that was elevated above truth. You know, there's that time in Mark chapter 7 where the religious leaders had the same problem and they were criticizing Jesus because he didn't wash his hands a certain way according to their little rules and regulations. You know, and they were all caught up in washing couches and disinfecting them in order, you know, not to sin. But then he went on and he told them, you know what, you guys got a big problem because you're missing the heart of it. You're, You're so caught up in your traditions... That's you're nullifying the truth. And what they were doing was interesting. You guys know that other commandment where it says, honor your father and your mother? I, I know you know that, right? Okay, you know, that means, of course, as a child, you do what they tell you to do. Um, you respect them, you honor them. But primarily, you know what that commandment means? It means that when you get older, when the children get older and the parents get older and maybe they can't support themselves anymore then the children are to help them financially. And so what had happened though was the religious leaders came up with a religious law. They called it Corbin. And what they said is, no, no, I don't have to help my mom and dad. I don't have to help them out. What I'll do is I'll take that money and I'll give it to the religious institutions. And what they did was they nullified the word of God through their tradition." And that's what was happening here. They had, you know, taken the Sabbath day and they made these rules and regulations and they elevated tradition over truth. They elevated their little laws over love. They elevated petty principles over people. And what we see is that even though the religious leaders were like that, Jesus is not like that. And that to me is so cool. Because if anybody comes into this place right here with dropsy, if anybody comes into this place right here with a broken heart or hurting heart and they're dying inside, I know this and the Pharisees knew it as well. Not a lot of time will go by before Jesus begins to deal with it. They knew that. And that's why they, they brought him in and they you know, set him up. They wanted to refuse him. They wanted to accuse him. Why? Because they missed the whole point. They had no pity for this person. You know, it's interesting, you guys. Pity is defined as sympathetic sorrow for one who is suffering or distressed. And it just breaks your heart that some people are so caught up in petty principles that they have lost a heart for people. And so we need to be so careful that we don't elevate our little rules and regulations, our big traditions over truth. You guys remember? That's kind of how Chuck Smith got going, remember? You know, they said, hey, the hippies, we don't want those guys, they don't take enough showers, you know? (laughs) They don't cut their hair, man. You know, when they come into church, they come in barefoot. What's up with that? And so the people were like, you know what, we can't have them here because they're messing up our carpet, toe jam, stuff like that, right? (laughs) But Chuck Smith said, listen, um, if that's a problem for you, then... You know what, well, let's just take out the carpet. Because we have to be so careful. Please understand that God loves people. And we need to have pity for those who are hurting. The first thing we see is this word pity. The second thing we see is the word humility. Look at our Lord, how beautiful He is. It says in verse 7, And so He told the parable to those who were invited When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, I'm sorry, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, do it this way. Go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Here it is, and here's the principle. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, be careful that your traditions don't get in the way of pity. And be careful that your positions don't get in the way of humility. Because humility is the heart of God. And that's what the Lord teaches right here, you know. And when we read in verse 1, the Pharisees were watching Jesus. But it's interesting, we read in verse 7 that Jesus was watching the Pharisees. Look again what it says. He told the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. Did you guys know this, that Jesus takes notes? (laughs) Did you know that? He's watching you and he's saying, oh, look at their motivation, you know? And he's writing it down. And he notices again. This is probably all just one big banquet, maybe a wedding feast. He notices how certain individuals—this is kind of sick, huh? Sick in a bad way—that are they're jockeying for position. You know, there was the three seats. The one closest to the center seat would be the guest of honor, and so they all wanted that. You know, that place, that prominence, that position. And the Lord says, "Man, that's not the way it should be." You know, because if you do that. God says, I'm going to humble you big time. But if you just humble yourself, then one day you're going to be rewarded. I'm going to use your life. And in God's eyes, we will be then exalted. Because the principle there is in verse 11, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, this is such a sad sight for Jesus to see the leaders longing for the place of honor. You know, Jesus earlier would denounce them for this. In Luke 11, verse 43, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You know, and there's a lot of people like that. And I'll be honest with you, I just can't, I can't relate to this. I was talking to my wife about this. I said, man, are people really like this? Do you guys think people are really like this? This is weird, huh? It really is. It just is foreign to me. And I remember, and this is, I know, a little different, but I remember when I did one of the prayer meetings for the city of El Mani, they had the prayer thing. And I remember we were there with all the people, but then they had these these special places in the front. And so all the chairs were faced this way, well, this way. And then the chair, and then, so they wanted me to sit up there in front. And I just couldn't do it, man. I didn't want to be a rebel or anything, you know, but I'm like, man, what for, you know? I can see maybe if you get married, husband and wife, you guys are there, man. But other than that, you know, for me, I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to do that. So I didn't, you know. And I almost missed my time to pray, you know. Who knows, maybe they're mad at me. All I know is that it, to me, it's very foreign. You know, but we, a lot of times I think we struggle with that place of prominence. Here, Jesus counsels them and he says, listen, man. You know, this is applicable to dinners, yes, but it's much more applicable to life as a whole. You know, we need to make sure that we are people of pity, that we are people of humility. You know, the scriptures talk so much about this. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. James, in quoting this, says God gives more grace. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, sometimes people at work, they're like, man, I should be promoted. Why did that guy go over me? You know? And you don't have to be caught up in stuff like that. You really don't. I remember, man, you know, because, I don't know, we see it even sometimes in the church. And this church has been pretty good. You guys are pretty cool. Every once in a while, we've had an individual here and there that had a hard time. Why is he an elder? Why? That doesn't, you know, why isn't he an elder? You know what? We're not into titles here. You don't have to call anybody elder, anybody deacon, anybody pastor. You don't have to do that. Because we're not into titles. We're not into positions. We shouldn't be. You know, the other day a guy signed up for ministry. And I love what he signed up for. You know what he signed up for? Cleaning toilets. That's what he put there. Cleaning toilets. To me, that makes perfect sense. I'll be honest with you, man. I remember before I was here in Amani, I remember being in place for six years and I cleaned toilets for six years. Cleaned toilets, uh, you know, mopped halls, vacuum sanctuaries and rooms, emptied the trash, and I did other things too. I was very blessed, but I'll be honest with you, I loved that. I loved doing that. You know, Part of the reason is because I used to do it with my headphones on. I used to crank up the music, man. You know, crank up the music, you're listening to Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman, whoever it is, and you are reminded of who you're really serving. You're serving God. It doesn't matter where. It only matters who. And we have to make sure that we're not like these guys. You guys don't worry about that. You know, you have no problem there, and you're you know taking the, the, the back row, the bottom seat, And let me tell you something, man. Just like God sees the guys who are exalting themselves, God sees the guys who are humbling themselves. And Psalm 75 says that He will lift you up. See, that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Humility is so huge. We know this was the fundamental characteristic of Jesus Christ. Warren Risby said this, Humility is a fundamental grace in the Christian life and yet is elusive. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here are humble? Just out of curiosity. You're like, I'm not going to raise my hand, huh? Good, good, okay? If you know you have it, you just lost it, right? (laughs) It's been well said that humility is not thinking meanly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all. Well, how is this going to affect me? well, you're living on the doorsteps of hell because that's selfish. If you base all your decisions on how this is going to affect me, you're not living according to the Christian standard. You need to look into the eyes of your wife and just see her. Don't look for the reflection of yourself. Just see her and no one else. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, he became a man, God became a man. He humbled himself even to die, and not just any death, he died on the cross. And that esteeming others better than himself is what saves us, right? Because everybody is a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and if you repent of your sins and trust in him, then you will have eternal life. It's a gift of God. And that was one of the beautiful things. We were able to go out there on the streets yesterday and tell people, salvation is a gift. God loves you. God wants to save you. All you have to do is receive this gift of his love and his forgiveness and his freedom and his salvation. And it was so cool to see people really doing that. One guy, it was so cool. We're walking across the crosswalk. We're getting ready to go home, you know? And the Lord says, not yet. <laughs> and we just strike up a conversation with this guy in the middle of the street in the crosswalk. And it was so cool, man. And by the time we got him to the corner, talked to him for a little bit, homeboy got saved. It was so neat, man, to see. That's what God has done for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. He died for us. He covered us. He esteemed us better than himself. You know, I don't know if you guys heard a couple of really interesting stories this week. And I'm always blown away by moms. Moms just trip me out. You guys are amazing, man. There was this one mom. Uh, she was taking her kids, uh, actually picking up her children from school in New York. And this mom happens to have 13 kids. And so you can just imagine what type of lady she was, man. But as she's there, she's picking up her kids. All of a sudden, gunfire breaks out. What do you think she did? You think she split? No way. You know what she did? She threw herself on her children. And she took the bullets for them. And she died. But she saved their life. You see, that's what Jesus has done. I read another story about a lady who was diagnosed with cancer while she was pregnant. I heard about this lady. And I was tripping out on this because what the doctors told her, says, you need chemotherapy. It's the only way that you'll save your life. But here's the thing, your child might die. She said, I don't even want to take that chance. She refused the chemotherapy. Praise God, her child died lived but she died and i was just thinking imagine you as a child you know you grow up and you realize that your mom gave her life so that you could live and that's exactly what god has done for us i pray we would live in appreciation You see, because that humility, that esteeming others better than yourself, that looking out for their interests and not your own, is the heart of Christianity. And that's how God is. He's a God of pity. He's a God of humility. And He's a God of charity. Because look what we read here in verse 12. And then He also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, when looking at this, more than likely, chapter 14 is Jesus' words and the whole, you know, wedding celebration, the whole banquet celebration. Uh, There's a possibility that all this was a result of what he saw there at this feast, you know, and just ugly things, not wanting to heal the man with dropsy, people pushing for places of honor. And then he looked around the room and he said, wow, you know, all I see is the wealthy, all I see is the healthy, all I see is the elite that are invited to eat. And so he gives this guy some counsel, counsel that I think is very important for us to understand. It's, you know, he says right here again, notice in verse 12, when you give a dinner or supper, don't ask just your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Why? Because they're going to invite you back and they're going to give you their good food and think this is going to be like a mutual admiration thing. No, he says, but you know, when you do the dinner, you invite the poor, the maimed, the lame The blind. Now, you know, in reading this, it's not that God doesn't allow us to invite our friends over or family, but what Jesus is saying is don't be exclusive. Be more inclusive. Don't forget the others. There's more, there's the poor. If you open your eyes, you'll find the blind. God is saying to us, I think, where we miss out a lot of times, be more excited. About those who are less invited. What about that one over there? No one ever invites them over any. Why don't you reach out to them? What about that poor one over there? What about that blind one over there? Now in the culture of this day, this would not happen. They, they wouldn't invite this type of people to a dinner. And the Lord is saying, just break that mold. Go against the grain of the ungodliness of society. Again, Warren Wiersbe said this, Jesus does not prohibit us for entertaining family and friends, but he warns us against entertaining only family and friends, exclusively. Warren Wiersbe said, That kind of fellowship quickly degenerates into a mutual admiration society in which each one tries to do the, outdo the others. No one dares to break the cycle. He says, it's sad to say that too much of church social life fits this description. And all I'm saying is, this is how God is. You know, I used to hate it. Well, maybe I think I know why. But you know, when you used to go to high school, you remember you had the, the popular people and the unpopular people. And you're like, man, we can't have the unpopular people seen with me. That was, that's weird, huh? Don't you think that's strange? Sometimes that creeps into the church and it really, really shouldn't. We got to be so careful that we don't do things like that. That we have a heart of pity, that we have a heart of humility, and that we have a heart of charity. Really reaching out to those who really can never repay us, almost in no way. You know, when you think of charity, I know a lot of times we struggle with that. Why? Because people take advantage of us. But one guy said this, Charity is never lost. It may meet with ingratitude or be of no service to those on whom it is bestowed, yet it ever does a work of beauty and grace upon the heart of the giver. John Chrysostom said, Charity is the scope of all God's commands. And even this guy Bob Hope, do you guys remember Bob Hope? Some of you older people, we remember Bob Hope. (laughs) He said this, If you haven't got any charity in your heart, then you haven't got a heart. And it's true, you guys. You see, that's the way our Lord is. And that's the counsel that He gives to us as Christians. And He wants us to read it. He wants us to heed it. He wants us to connect the dots. And He wants us to step out the boxes that I I think sometimes... We really build, and He wants us to be like Him. You see elements of the character of Christ here, and I just pray my prayer is that God would help us to be more like Him in our every day and in our every way. We see His heart, and in looking at this, you guys, in closing, I see this: that no matter the tradition, no matter the position, no matter the condition, that God's pity. Towards us, and God's humility with us, and God's charity towards us has set us free. And I just pray that we as Christians would understand this is how God wants us to be as well. That we would receive that into our hearts, thanking you, Lord, that you heal me, thanking you, Lord, that you love me unconditionally, and maybe even having a little bit of an understanding, like we read in the very beginning. These girls from India who felt unwanted, they were named unwanted. Somehow along the way, they discovered that they weren't unwanted. I know for us, like I said earlier, I don't know if it's people, but I do know this that it's God. That God wants us for Himself. That God wants us to be His children. And that we would, I pray, we would respond to that that today we would change our names that today god would give us a fresh start in life lord i want to thank you for your word lord and that reveals it us reveals to us who you are lord i thank you so much jesus for being a god who speaks to us lord and A God who knows our struggles and who challenges us, who stretches us, Lord God. I thank you for being a God who wants us. When I look at myself, I don't know why you would want me, Lord. There's nothing good about me. I know who I am, Lord, apart from you. I'm unworthy. Lord, I know I'm unable. But I also know, Lord, that you died for me. And that you've come into my life and you've changed me. And I know, Lord God, that you have done the same for many of my brothers and sisters here today. And I want to thank you for that and praise you for that. For being a God of so much compassion, grace, love, and holiness. And Father, I look to you even now, just asking God that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, if there's anyone here today who's not a Christian or just they don't know where they stand with you. Let today, Lord, would be the day of salvation, Lord, that today they would change their names, today they would go forward and have a new start in life. And just with everybody praying, every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today, just in case, and and maybe someone invited you. You don't know where you stand with God, but you you know this that you're a sinner. And you need a Savior. Maybe you just know that God brought you here today because He wants to give you a new start in life. And you want to become a Christian. You want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You want to be set free. You want to be forgiven. You want to receive the love of Jesus Christ. If you would like to do that today, turn from your sins and trust Him. Just in case, we have to give that opportunity. Right where you're at, just raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you. The decision of your life, will you follow Jesus? Thank you, Lord, for that hand that's gone up. How good God is. How kind God is. How merciful He is. And he'll change your life. Anyone else? The Bible says that if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. It's a gift. He did all the work, He died on the cross, He shed His blood. He does not want you to perish. But you got to receive him as Lord and Savior. Anyone else? Oh, Father, what a joy it is to see that hand go up, Lord. Because your word says that one person when one person repents and receives you lord that there's a celebration in heaven and i just thank you for that lord and i just pray that you would be with that individual who made that decision today to follow you and that today you would meet her there you bless her and you do a great work father we thank you so much for allowing us to have your word as our truth. Lord, we don't have to rely on traditions or opinions. We definitely don't have to take the counsel from the world, but we have your word as the final authority in our life. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray today as we go our way, as we go out into this week, and in the valleys and alleys and highways and byways, Lord, that we would be like you. People of pity, people of humility, people of charity. God, as you would lead and direct and strengthen our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.